East Up Law and Crisis, the elections series. My name is Shamima Muslim, your moderator for today. Today's episode, as with the other episodes, are brought to you by the University of Ghana School of Law in partnership or supported by the Star Ghana Foundation with thanks to UKAID and the European Union. The topic for today is elections and pandemics, pathways for innovative elections management. Elections management in normal times often pose a number of challenges and threats to many democratic states, especially from our side of the world. Throw in a pandemic such as COVID and the risks are heightened for proper elections management in respect of the health outcomes for citizens and the health of our nation's democracy and the legal systems that binds this society. Ghana in its 63-year history since independence has had its share of rude military interventions, be it against themselves or upstaging democratic constitutions. Now, seeing how rudely COVID has interrupted all of our lives, our systems and governance practices, we are asking this afternoon, what might be the cost to our democracy or health outcomes? And how might an effective responsive elections management system guarantee the best of both worlds? These and many more I will be exploring with my panel on today's series. Without further ado, I'd like to um, introduce our panel for today's conversation. We have Madam Bridget Jobonuku, who is a former vice presidential candidate of the um, Progressive People's Party. And all things being equal, she should be that party's presidential candidate for the 2020 elections. Let's welcome Madam Bridget with a round of applause. Also, we have, hi Bridget, thanks for joining. Thank Professor you. Henry Kwesi Prempe is the Executive Director of the CDD Ghana. Welcome, Prof, and thanks for joining as well. Thank you, Salima. Thank We also have the pleasure of the company of Nana Kofi Kwachi. He's a research fellow and doctoral candidate, New York University School of Global Public Health. Nana Kofi, welcome as well, and a round of applause to all of you who have joined us from across the world. Welcome. Thanks for having us, Shamima. So, we're jumping straight into our conversation. It's a pleasure to have all of you um, join us. I was reading a policy brief by the International Institute of Democracy and Electoral Assistance on managing elections in this COVID era. It said in parts, and I quote, in a matter of a few months, the COVID-19 crisis has rapidly transformed fundamental electoral norms practices and approaches governing electoral management over the last few decades. The <laughs> pandemic has therefore challenged numerous countries, states and territories 
to rethink how to deliver safe, technically sound, and credible elections. This presents opportunities for growth, positive change, and innovation, and it incentivizes radical shifts in long entrenched perspectives. I'm starting with you, Professor H. Kwesi Prempre. Do you think this statement resonates with our reality here in Ghana in the way that the Electoral Commission has approached its role in this new normal? Thank you, uh, Shabima. I, I, I believe when the year began, um, you know, one of the um, issues that the emergence of COVID um, in, in Ghana immediately threw up for, for debate was whether or not it was possible at all to hold the this year. And there was, I think, a very vibrant conversation, especially among a community of lawyers, uh, constitutional lawyers, as to whether or not it was possible to even set aside or postpone the December 2020 elections in the light of the pandemic. I, I think that uh, matter was put to rest um, when the government made clear that it did not intend to put off the elections. And then immediately that was settled, uh, the other issue emerged of whether or not it was helpful, necessary, or desirable to hold the intended voter registration exercise, which the EC uh, had indicated it was going to pursue. That, I think, you know, really detained, uh, detained us and, uh, for some time, uh, because it also happened in, in, the, in the midst of the lockdown. And I think the EC uh, took a maximalist position that it was hell-bent on going ahead with a new voter register as opposed to just doing a limited registration exercise. Uh, as you're all aware, there was a, a considerable amount of back and forth on that, including uh, uh, finally precipitating in a Supreme Court, in Supreme Court litigation uh, over that uh, and related issues. And I think uh, the matter was settled judicially in favor of the Electoral Commission allowing it uh, to roll out a new voter registration exercise within a normally, I mean, an exceptionally compressed time. Um, and I think that basically the general uh, sense is that that exercise has been successful. Uh, we did not see uh, any cluster of cases of COVID or coronavirus emerging out of that exercise. There were some initial concerns about crowding and the like, but I think overall, the judgment that uh, one comes out with is that that exercise, um, notwithstanding the initial apprehension, and, and very justifiably so, um, has been generally successful. What I think that does for the next item on the calendar, on the electoral calendar, it could have one or two effects. It could either um, give us a certain false sense of security that because we pulled off the voter registration exercise, the election, um, we, we've settled it, you know, we know there's no danger out there in the election, is, is, uh, would be just, would go just as well. 
Uh, that is one possibility. And the other possibility, of course, is to say that, look, the election uh, introduces other variables into the equation that were not present in the voter registration exercise, and therefore that uh, we need to approach that as uh, certainly informed by the voter registration, but not to think that it would be as easy as probably relatively we, we, we had the voter registration. And so far, well, I'm, I haven't, I'm not aware of what it is that the EC has outlined yet. I do know that the voter restriction exercise itself is not technically not complete because there has to be the of the register and cleanup and all of that, which has a, we need to know a clear roadmap whether or not this would entail extending the number of voting days, whether it would mean, I mean, we, we don't know yet what the EC intends to roll out as its protocol for uh, voting day, which has normally been a one-day exercise generally for the population. It's still going to be a one-day exercise as opposed to the voter is really comparing apples and oranges to think that they'll be the same. So I think we do need some direction, clear direction um, from the EC uh, in, in the next uh, a few weeks or so, or months, uh, certainly close to the election, as to how it intends to mitigate the concerns that, new concerns that would arise with voting day itself, in the election election on, on, on uh, uh, in December 2020. Thank you very much, um, H. Kwesi Krempe, for setting the tone for our conversation. So yes, indeed, it would seem as if the registration exercise was a precursor to how the EC would manage or can better manage, you know, the election getting into uh, December. But the issue you raised about false sense of security, let me bring Nana Kwashi here from the public health point of view, because the challenge is how do you ensure we protect our democracy and still uh, protect the health of the citizens. Do you think that the registration exercise, Nana, and this is to you, um, gives us an understanding of the effects of the exercise on public health outcomes, seeing that we haven't recorded any um, massive cases as a result of that registration exercise? Um, well, thanks for that question, Shamima. Good afternoon, Professor Prempe, Madam Jagbenuku. Great pleasure to be here with both of you. Um, with, with respect to the, the issues around the actual registration and COVID-19, I think what it gave us a great opportunity to do was basically to get a dry run of what really we have to do on December 7th. But it's important that we, again, realize that it's not an apples-to-apples -apples comparison there. The circumstances on election day are not the same as in a registration. And a lot of why the registration was easy to do in this kind of paced out way was because we did it over multiple days in certain areas. On election day, um, if we go by the norm, we'd be doing it all on one day. And there's a question as to whether or not um, we've been able to, what, what we've learned about the, the multiple day process that could possibly be applied to the election itself to make it so that management and other things are easier. I think as far as infections coming out of such an exercise go, um, you know, we go back down to basic epidemiology, which is that what causes a pandemic to spread is 
having the virus in circulation and how people behave within that environment. So if we have any activities that involve large gatherings or anything of that sort, we would expect to see more cases than we would have otherwise. That's just the reality. The question is how many, and do we have the capacity to really respond and contain, contain those? Um, I think there's where we have to, in addition to planning for what the actual election process looks like, given that you know, we, we, we tried it out in registration with a multiple day process, that's where we really have to make sure we are collecting enough information to, to know what the magnitude of the risk is per se. Um, there we can estimate things like how many cases are likely to be caused by you know, mass gatherings throughout the whole day. So we can at least position ourselves in terms of testing strategies and other things to prepare for it. But I think the, the voter registration exercise gave us a phenomenal template for how to make sure um, things are done properly and also what things can go wrong when, when there are tensions, when there are anxieties, and how we can better manage those situations to make sure that they don't become opportunities for, for mass spreading. Thank you, Nana Kwachi. So, Bridget, I mean, yes. as a political actor, obviously, COVID has posed tremendous challenges for even the big political parties. So, I'm sure your party has had its fair share of these challenges, the mobilization, the activities, the campaigning. How has COVID affected political party organizing and going into the 2020 elections? What might be your expectations from the Electoral Commission and other actors to ensure that we don't, um, you know, put our democracy on brink and also put citizens' health on the brink as well? Okay. Hi, Shamima. Thank you for that question. But first of all, I've said hi to HPC already. So hello, Nana Kofi Kwachi. I'm happy to be here to talk about this. Indeed, um, the COVID has really affected election. I mean, you, you can tell. I mean, this is the time for campaigning and noise making and big rallies and people rallying around, for lack of a better word. But we're not doing that because uh, we are hindered by uh, COVID and by the, um, uh, the pandemic and the, the fear of uh, spreading infections. Indeed, I think that um, to take off from what Nanakofi was talking about, I think I saw an article from sizemag.org online, which said that for some reason, Africans have developed antibodies to COVID and they're struggling to explain how. So, which means that a lot more of us might have been infected uh, and, and not known it. Um, the thing is, we can't take anything for granted because I think uh, for Africa, we were, it was probably thought that would be the worst hit and would die in droves and people would be left along streets and things like that. But thankfully, so far, our numbers are small, probably except for South Africa. Um, the deaths are minimal and the cases themselves are um, uh, milder, relatively milder than, yes, of course, we've had some 200 and some deaths, but I mean, comparatively, it's, it's small. But then still, we can't take things for granted. Yes, indeed, the voters' registration exercise was thought as one that would, um, you know, spread the virus and, you know, spread the disease. But as HQC Premper said, it seems as if it was successful, if we're thinking in terms of um, the pandemic. Um, 
like you said, it's not the same. The voter registration exercise was, so was over a number of days. So therefore, people are spread out. People take their time to go to the station, the, the registration centers and all that. But in this case, it's going to be a one-day one, um, event. I wish that the Electoral Commission would have been here to tell us if it would be more than a day or if they could consider, because of COVID, make it more than a day. And therefore, what mechanisms we could put in place to safeguard that people are not disenfranchised or their their votes, uh, you know, everybody everybody's votes is counted, and you know, there's not a lot of there's always violence, so there won't be violence. But um, if you're talking about yes, how it's affected active voting um, um, campaigning activity, it has a lot. For example. Um, when I did, needed to get uh, nominations for my, my uh, to file my nominations, I couldn't go to the constituencies to meet with or, or the regional executives to meet with the regional executives. It had to be done over phone and to say, you know what, or, or you, you send me your um, nomination by WhatsApp so that there's evidence that you actually nominated me. So um, in ways like that, we've had to uh, rely quite heavily on um, technology, which is a good thing. I mean, if you think about it, it's a good thing because we are all trying to progress and move forward. But um, I don't know whether technology will be doing it for us when it comes to the actual day of voting, December 7th. And we hope that uh, the uh, EC is putting in measures to ensure that that doesn't, um, whilst we are minding that we don't, um, increase infections uh, we also do not disenfranchise people we must be aware that today from tomorrow our airports are opening and our first few cases of covid came in from outside and whilst they say that we have um, put in uh, measures to ensure that everybody is tested uh, a lot of a lot of people were, were um, stranded outside and they're going to come in and we have to make sure that well between now and December 7th, they, if they do have it, they have recovered and our, our numbers are on the decline. And if they are not, then um, probably other practical measures will have to be put in place. And uh, we, we look forward to hearing from the uh, um, EC about what some of these practical um, uh, solutions are. But I have a few and maybe when we get there, I'll, I'll share that with, with you that thought um keep that thought if you just join, join us it's the university of ghana school of law um seminars it's the elections series and we are discussing elections and pandemics we want to explore pathways to innovative elections um, management so this next set of questions comes to you nano kwachi and uh, professor Prempe. often it's said that the health risk of a pandemic require a choice as to what should be prioritized, whether the health of citizens and that of the nation's democracy. So Nana Kwashi, I'm asking you first, what might happen between now and December that might lead to a decision being taken, you propose, to prioritize health outcomes over the democracy in the worst case scenario that you would say postpone these elections as a result of this. And H. Chrissy Prempere, immediately after Nana Kwachi, you should also tell me 
where you'd lean towards? Would you choose democracy over the health concerns in a worst case scenario situation? Nana Kwachi, you first. Okay, um, so to answer the first part, what, what could, you know, what, what kinds of things could go against us um, in the fight against COVID between now and election day? Um, I think the most obvious one comes from the easing of restrictions and non-compliance. We've seen that, yes, you know, there, there are some people wearing face masks and doing the hand washing and doing the physical distancing, but it's, it's, it's just difficult to believe that that's in the majority. That, that just does not appear to be the case. And where, you know, people get more and more relaxed as time goes on, if they get too relaxed, we could, we could see, you know, resurgence of cases, there's that issue. Then there's a question of the border reopenings, for example. Um, it, it's important to put this all in context with the global picture because that's what we're talking about when we talk about air traffic. Um, Europe right now is in a situation where some countries and some regions in some countries are considering a second wave of lockdowns because they're seeing a surge in cases. We're seeing that in Asia, we're seeing that in Americas, and those are the large sending countries if we think about that in terms of air traffic for Ghana. So, it's great that we're going to do require the PCR testing before they come. It's good that we're going to do antigen testing, but we have to be frank with ourselves that some it's possible that some people will slip through the cracks, and those if we don't manage those or contain those well could lead to, to to larger outbreaks. But I think those are the two main risks that we're facing right now: um, the rising sense of false and security and low compliance and then the risk of importation and starting a process through there. I think th those are all real risks. Now on the question of how, how you weigh it out in, 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 in the grand scheme of things, I think many countries have had to answer this question this year. As said May, I believe there are 55 countries around the world scheduled to have some form of legislative or presidential election this year that reschedule them entirely. Um, Poland, for example, decided they were gonna go all postal, South Korea went with early voting. Um, Israel went to PP for health workers, but countries are trying to figure this out um, critically. And I think in our context, we have to be very keenly aware of, 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 of what figuring it out really means, because we know that elections here are hotly contested. There is always a lot of tensions, a lot of anxiety. Um, I, I mean, I was very young in 2008, but I do recall the tension um, in that particular election. I think most of us would, would remember it. Um, and so we, we know that when it's on a knife's edge, um, you, don't want to, you don't want to introduce any additional variables that can make the situation unpredictable. Um, so the easiest way to do that is to make sure that we have going to December, you know, the epidemic um, in Ghana under firm control, where we're seeing lower infections, lower hospitalizations, and where we are seeing those things while we are still testing at a reasonable enough capacity to draw, you know, practical conclusions from the data we're getting. Um, but I, I don't really see a scenario where, given our, the, the nature of politics here and the, the general tensions around our elections, where um, if, we, if we are going to have a postponement or any kind of change in the usual format, we have to give those kind of notices now and walk through those scenarios that political parties now, so everybody can be primed for it in some sense. Um, because the concern there is, if these are decisions that have to be made last minute, um, just because of emerging events with the, the virus. Um, I, I don't see how that, those, those yes will protect health, but 
we also know the country we live in, we know the realities of our political system and the electoral happenings. And we know that that kind of scenario, um, you just need one party saying, you know, we're not going to agree to this and you have a, a problem on your hands. So th th those are the kinds of things that we have to be mindful of. So to avert that scenario, the easiest way really is to double our efforts between now and then to make sure we have the epidemic under control. And like I said earlier, that also means that we have to know that for a fact, which means we have to test at the right levels. We have to do quarantine isolation at the right, in the right ways. And we have to make sure that our contact tracing is sufficient enough for us to know that we actually know that we're in a good position going to the election. Right. Nice. Crazy. So obviously, from uh, Nana Kwaki's point of view, democracy will, will trump whatever health concerns uh, that might arise, no matter how severe even. Well, I, I not necessarily, uh, even though I agree with him completely that, you know, this kind of balancing, I mean, usually when you have two significant interests, uh, the health of the public, uh, citizens and the health of the democracy, our democracy in this situation. You have two equally uh, weighty considerations or interests, uh, you know, almost clashing in a situation like this. You, you normally do a balancing act that really doesn't, it's almost like a compromise. You, you, you work a midway where each one gets a little bit and uh, we're all satisfied at that level. This, unfortunately, is not that kind of a situation, right? Certainly not in our case. You know, we don't want to compromise on democracy, uh, whatever that means, right? You don't really want to cut corners on democracy because it's the source of the legitimacy of government. And so we want to have our democracy, and we do not want to have it at the cost of our lives. So this is a situation where you really want to have both. You want to really have your, your cake and eat it. And, and you know, if we were going to contemplate a situation where uh, uh, elections would have to be put off, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that that time, you know, we really do not have the time to do that. When the elections, when the, the, the question of the elections and its uh, occurrence arose in the early days of COVID or in the early, early months or weeks of COVID, you know, I thought that my expectation was that we would have at least a plan B, even if we had come to the conclusion that, look, when you look in the four corners of the Constitution, there doesn't appear to be any leeway for us, right? unlike voter registration, where, in fact, it was somewhat optional. It is not constitutionally required that you have a new voter registration. It is constitutionally required that you have an election this year in December. And there doesn't appear to be within the text on the, what I call the four corners of the constitution, there doesn't appear to be really much leeway that has been left for us to postpone an election of this kind or to move it uh, beyond the set dates that we have, say, by a month or two or the like. So we are actually constrained by the, the, the supreme law of the land that governs our republic and that governs elections. Uh, and in that kind of a situation, if you were faced with a worst case scenario, of course, you know, like we say, a constitution is not a suicide pact. That merely because you have a constitution doesn't mean that even if it's going to spell doom for all of you in terms of your, your existence, 
that he would really go ahead with it. But if that was the situation, it would require a national consensus. It would require that the political class, the citizenry, come to a real national consensus that this election needed to be postponed populist uh, was at risk. But that's, I don't think we have a plan B. I don't think the political class has engaged with each other on this issue. And if they have, I do not know of the existence of a plan B. And the West would be to really wait, and like Nana said, to really wait last minute, and then to say that, oh, look, we didn't really anticipate that it would get this bad. The second wave is way worse than the first one. And under these circumstances, we cannot have an election. When the, if that declaration were to be made by one party, being the incumbent party, I mean, we can all anticipate that basically that is not going to work in our circumstance. We would be faced with a real constitutional crisis. So I really, um, I, I think it's a tough question how to do the balancing. I think probably the most, I mean, the optimal uh, uh, um, resolution, if that were the case, would be to come to some understanding that you draw out the kind ways of doing the election. Because I do not think that we are, we are, we are already in the, in the, almost entered the third quarter soon, and, uh, and the last quarter. And, and because we haven't already agreed a plan B, if we really want to think of a worst case scenario, probably all stakeholders must come to an understanding that in the event of a worst case scenario, we do it. And it's going to take a lot of political bargaining come to that agreement. We haven't tried that yet. And it appears that Nana just really painted very accurately that our politics is extremely competitive, highly divisive, highly zero-sum, highly toxic almost sometimes. And I do not see that atmosphere as being the atmosphere in which you engender the kind of consensus that would be needed if indeed we were faced with a worst-case scenario. Um, so I really pray that we don't have a worst case scenario, which, which would be the typical Ghanaian thing to do. Um, and, and yet, even if we didn't have a worst case scenario, I think the issue, uh, the public health issues and other, things, other issues still remain. We don't really have to have a worst case scenario for, for us to still come up um, a plan C or you know, how we, we deal with this situation. I think the virus, for some reason, uh, it's not. It's no longer foremost on our minds. I have traveled. I've to travel the country in the last uh, three or four weeks. I've been to Bolgatanga by road, to Tamale by road, to Sunyani, to Kumasi, and then to Takradi. And it's clear. I mean, when you just observe as you travel the country, that basically people are just taking it easy. <laughs> you know, people are taking it easy. The relatively low mortality numbers uh, put in the context of what else we know is happening in the world has really a num led a number of us to think that, look, the West is over here. And, and um, it, it, would be, it would be a real surprise if we got hit by a West case scenario and there's a huge flare. 
I don't think we are prepared for it at all. Not the citizenry and certainly not the political class. Wow. That's, that's an obvious stark picture you paint there. So let's pray. Let's solemn. Solemn <laughs> and keep praying that we don't have that worst case scenario. Bridget, I mean, as a political actor, would you or your party, you know, acquiesce to any conversation about a plan B possibly, even if we were to decide that, of course, this election is coming off December 7, come what may, but how do we deploy the election management system? Is it going to be a single day? And Chrissy had mentioned it in his previous comment. Um, these things we haven't even started talking about. Are we doing a one-day event? Is there going to be, of course, there's always the special voting. Are we going to have an expansive special voting and expand the groups or institutions that would, you know, take part in that special voting as a political actor? What might be your ideas of a possible uh, scenario planning process? Well, uh, thanks again. I like that question. You know, I, I, I keep saying that the pandemic, COVID, has given us the opportunity to do things right. You know, it's given, it's given it's in all ways, in our funerals, all our social events, we've been given just the perfect opportunity to do things right, in detail, properly. And yet, we still, we just want to carry on along the same lines and, you know, there are people who I know are waiting to have their big social events when COVID is over. We still don't know when COVID will be over. And therefore, yes, we need to carry on with what needs to be done, but maybe think around it and do it properly. And you, you've given uh, me uh, a brilliant idea as well, which is the pre-voting that they used to do. Maybe they have to do a few days before. But we know that um, when they do the pre-voting, then people, of course, they, they are, they, people count and they know that, oh, this uh, party or that one is doing well on this day amongst this uh, group of people. And therefore, the, the violence or the, the um, um, electoral, um, there's a word for it, the cheating starts the next day because people know, oh, gosh, we might be losing out in this area or in that area. And therefore, let's start, you know, the violence and the stealing of ballot boxes and things like that. But I think that, yes, it gives us an opportunity to think about it and say, how better can we make our electoral process and our voting process on 7th December? And some of the things we've thought about, maybe with a pre-voting, would be to get people who are um, vulnerable to go first, go earlier, line up uh, first, and we give them a, a number of hours within which they can uh, go and vote. And when you've done that and you're gone or the time is gone, if you go after that, then you'll have to join the queue for the next group of people. So that they group the voters in a, a manner that ensures that a certain number is there at a time. And obviously we, get, we, we, we take care of the vulnerable, the, the, the aged, the physically challenged, and all those people. They come and go before the others come. As Nana said, uh, he, he was very young in 2008. <laughs> um, if you think 2008 was violent or, or was near violence, try now because the two, the two major parties are really charged and it, 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 it then becomes our responsibility as the third party to stand between them and be 
the people to say, oh, you know, stand aside. I think uh, in 2016, we came between the two, two, two parties uh, in the, on the ballot paper. And I said to them that we are there to separate their fights. So uh, <laughs> this, is, this is what we are here for. And if you think 2008 was charged, you should try it now. I think that there's a lot at stake. So the, the Electoral Commission, if they were here, and if they're going to get um, accepts of this conversation, they might start, have to start thinking about how to segment the, the, demographic, the demography so that we have the handicapped, we have the, the, the elderly, give them a few hours in the morning when the voting starts, they go and then they leave. Because I think research and, you know, after several years of voting, we know that it's towards the end of the day when they have to count ballots that um, they have to count the votes that's when the violence actually begins. Of course, sometimes it begins there, but it begins whilst the voting is going on, but not so much. And then, of course, to ensure fiscal distancing, look at the numbers that will come, each constituency and each voting, um, each, um, each, help me here, what's the word for the uh, polling station? Each polling station has... Uh, uh, the number they have on their list for the number of people who are coming to vote. So they can use, use that to say we won't have as many people, so many people, or more, more than a certain number of people at the polling station at a time, and therefore phase the people out gradually. And of course, it might require a little more bad budget for the, the election, but either you have the budget for the election to ensure that people are not getting infected, or you have the budget for the, the, the health. So um, one way or other, it's got to be shifted around and um, ensure that uh, that is done. You have a lot more electoral uh, officers there at the polling station so that um, they, no, nobody stays in the queue for too long. Uh, they, they get there, they can vote, and then they can go. And of course, I think we, the political parties as well, must have uh, um, an interest in how that goes to ensure that, I mean, nobody knows which vote is coming to your party, but just to ensure that you have the interest of the voters at heart, everybody should be there to ensure that these things, when they are put in place, are adhered to so that the health, you know, the health aspects of it is, is uh, uh, ensured. I mean, we can't be 100% sure, but uh, when you put these things in place, as we said, the vulnerable will be taken care of. And then the rest of us can, of course, our masks and all that, sanitizer, hand washing, and all that. And I think that it's, it's also up to us as a political party. If you, you can, you must provide these things. It doesn't matter who the vote is going to, but we just want to ensure that the Ghanaian is, is safe and healthy uh, during the electoral process on that day. Brilliant. So, I mean, as a political actor, I think the question is, are you worried that we're not having um, the, the conversation around, you know, fleshing out these details in terms of how will the voting day pan out? Oh, yes, I am. Um, I, I am. You see, and that's what I meant by, we seem to think that COVID will go and then we'll continue as as uh, we were, you know, and I think, as we said, COVID has given us an opportunity to do things better. I mean, nobody is, 
uh, most times when we have these conversations, it sounds as if we are criticizing and uh, we are putting the EC on, on the spot, but we are not. We are, we are proffering ideas as to make things better for everybody. And like I said, we, we must probably take this conversation to the EC if they won't come to say this ought to be done. Because I know that if by December 7th, we are still recording cases in the hundreds by the day, or there's a spike because we, you know, opened our borders, people won't go out and vote. People will. And I, I know that there are certain people who refuse to go and register because they just couldn't, uh, they were afraid to put their lives at risk, yes. you know. So the, we must have these conversations and the EC must be seen to be saying something about it. And we're in, we're almost, we're in September. We have October and November. Maybe the public, maybe the NCCE, for example, could take on the, the, the duty of informing people as to what the EC is doing for safe voting on, on December 7th. And if there are no plans, they, they should put them in place. The fact that right. we've you know, opened our borders and laid aside all the safety protocols does not mean that COVID is gone. It's not. We all know that. Definitely, it isn't. But, but I think that um, usually the, the results of the early voting are not counted on, on the day of, of the voting, they are usually added to the general population's vote and counted um, after 7th. That, that, that is what it ought to be, but is that what it is? Mm. So <laughs> we'll see, is that what it is? We'll find out. Right, let me bring um, Nana Kwachi, if you're still on, which you should be. I, I want us to look at some of the risk factors. So okay. assuming that now December 7th will come and we are going to the pools, what must we put in place to ensure the safety of um, citizens? For instance, um, there's the saying that for public health decisions, the considerations are usually about the time and the place factors. The time being that we would hold an election within a stipulated period of time for the general population, which is a huge number, you know, for a particular day. The place being you having to physically go to a polling station to cast your vote. So from the public health point of view, what might we do to provide a safe environment for both voters and poll workers and minimize the health risk associated with um, electoral operations in a pandemic. Okay, thanks for that. So again, it, it, it goes back down to how we have to, how we look at uh, our struggle with COVID-19. It would be a mistake to view the precautions we have to take around the election as an event that we have to do close to time. It's things we have to be doing now. It's about making sure that we are enforcing physical distancing, we are being conscientious and intentional about observing and keeping down infections in schools when they reopen. It's about making sure that in, in other parts of our public life, social and public life that we've reopened in religious institutions and in reality, the bars and clubs that are open and stuff like that, we need to make sure that all those things that will create a bad situation for us then in December are not happening now. Because when you, the interventions we do now don't have an immediate effect. They're going to have an effect two weeks, three weeks down the line. 
So we need to be working now to make sure that we're in that position. But going into the actual um, election day, we need to make sure obviously that we can take care of physical security so that people can be protected from catching the virus um, by virtue of physical distancing, enforcing mask wearing and all those things. But, it's, but that's where, again, we come down to practical considerations. Um, I grew up in Latibiokoshi across from Bishop Bauer School, which was a polling station. And every election day you'd see, you know, I mean, it was large numbers there voting. And at the end of the day, there'd be large crowds gathering. What other practical steps we can do if by virtue of the electoral process itself to reduce those circumstances? Because these, this situation where you can't do, there's no like testing or tracing innovation that makes it so that the election environment itself is safer. That's a question of the structure of the election and the decisions we make around how is it going to happen. Um, like Madam Jabanuku said, we can be doing things like early voting, we can be doing things like, um, you know, special voting or special queue assignments for vulnerable people. But we need to know what things are consensus positions from the different political actors. So then we have an, an agreed upon set of things we can choose from to say we're going to mitigate risk this way. And that's why um, I think a lot of the conversation about the worst case scenario planning, I really hope that it's happening or that it happens soon because we need to have different scenarios that we plan for where we know what tools we can use in the different scenarios to really minimize the, 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 the risk of infection if we are going to have the election, if we go through with it. And th those are not decisions public health people can make. Those are administrative decisions that the Electoral Commission has to make. But I think from a public health perspective, what we'd want to see, obviously, is some recognition that a multiple day registration event is not the same thing as a single day voting. So you can't draw, you cannot say that because you did one, the other is be going to be safe. And if that is the reality, what are you doing about the latter scenario, the single day scenario, to make it so that it's safer, which means maybe at a single polling station, can you have multiple ballot boxes so that you have people spending less time there? Can you make sure that as much as possible, polling stations are outdoors so there's good ventilation? Can you make sure that as much as possible um, that if, if people want to observe that we, you pick a location for the polling center where if even people are going to mass up to observe, they're not crowded in to observe, whether it's maybe it's a big field like and, and ironically, like in, in I also was going like the La Baulishi Park, that's a huge area where if you're voting there, people can make a single line, your single file line around it where people can see what's going on. So it's about those strategic decisions to make it so that we are reducing the risk of gathering, reduce, re reducing the risk of crowding, while at the same time in the way we structure the electoral process, being flexible, being pragmatic, and doing those things in a way that you know leads towards broad consensus because there's also no scenario where we have a list of public health measures we can put in place as ad hoc mitigation measures that are not previously agreed on by other political parties that's going to be a problem and it's important that we that we in this particular instance do the thing i think has been lacking um, in a lot of our covid response which is plan for the worst case don't plan for the worst the best case and hope it happens plan for the worst case and hope it doesn't um, so that we have you know adequate provisions adequate consensus adequate you know public perception and perspective about what the priorities have to be if a happens if b happens if c happens um, so it, it, it wouldn't make sense for us to say you know 
you know, like Madame was saying, that you know, we, we're in a good place so we, we can relax and things will be fine. We have to assume that they will not and plan for that and then work to make sure that they are actually in a good place when we get to December 7th. Nice. Thanks. So that's from the public health point of view. For the democracy point of view, HQC, I mean, the sweeping restrictions obviously <laughs> pose a challenge in, in terms of uh, limiting the participatory dimensions of our democracy. So, I mean, from your governance expert point of view, how can we um, ensure that the process is credible and, you know, these issues of voter uh, suppression uh, that we have already had, even with the registration exercises, eliminated towards the main day it, itself? And how can we guarantee that the election will be representative and legitimate in the face of all of these sweeping, you know, rest restrictions? Yes, no, I think, I think that's a very crucial question. I mean, because we do have to, you know, the elections are really the single uh, most important source of legitimacy for our government. And, um, you know, even though we don't do compulsory voting, um, certainly if you have numbers substantially below a certain threshold voting, it does, it does really... Um, cast a certain shadow on the legitimacy of the government that we elect. So if, if substantially uh, fewer than, say, 50% say of the voters uh, out of fear or out of concern or out of uh, fear of intimidation, whatever, uh, choose not to show up uh, and get the idea that the election is a much higher risk than the voter registration, which it is. Uh, there's on the face of it, and therefore do not show up, and you get a government elected by, say, less than a certain number of the population, it would be elected, and yet its legitimacy would be, would be substantially weakened. So yes, participation is important. Voter participation uh, is, is really a, a very crucial uh, uh, factor. And I think that's why, you know, you, you did ask Bridget uh, earlier on about the campaigning and the effect on the campaigning, especially from the side of the, the candidates and the parties. But I think, you know, also point about not waiting for voting day uh, to roll out all of these new, uh, new protocols around how the voting will care. I think there's an intervening period between voter registration and voting day. This intervening period, the campaigning period, is really also the period to reinforce Behavior modification, behavior modification, because uh, behaviors have actually almost relaxed. You know, we really have gone back. Yes, you see, petrol vehicles now. You look into the, the driver is not wearing a face mask. Most of the passengers are not. Um, you know, it's 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 clear that people have relaxed. Now, so how we conduct the campaign is just as important. Uh, um, uh, and, uh, 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 a source of lessons going into the elections as how we conducted the registration. So with the campaign, I think we could use it as an opportunity to reinforce the message that, look, we have still to be very careful uh, because the behavior modification that we're able to reinforce during this period, if we 
are insistent that there are no rallies. No, I, I haven't seen yet a full rollout of election-specific uh, regulation or protocols coming out of imposition uh, uh, of restrictions act yet. But maybe we need to have specific rules tailored to campaigning before, of course, the Electoral Commission and the parties agree on the protocols for the election. So that if there are not going to be rallies, and this is going to be a retail type of election where people just walk house to house, there must be rules around that. So, for example, in, in Benin, uh, they had local elections uh, in May, and it was all media run. Right? It was all media elections, but also vehicular elections. Right? So you have media, and then you could use a public address system in a vehicle. Uh, to do your rounds and deliver your broadcast and messages that way. But the state threw in, in the light of COVID, also threw in a subsidy for the parties and the candidates to be able to do so, right? Because we also have to really think about the real issue here, which is that even in normal times, we do have our elections in terms of play, level playing field. We do have uh, uh, unfair advantages for the incumbent. That also remains, and in fact, one might say it's actually even exacerbated by COVID, because while, say, the president has the use of the bully pulpit, has the use of a national address, opposition candidates do not have the same resource or opportunity. And, you know, for whatever it's worth, you know, it's easy to say, I mean, it's about public health, but some will read uh, political uh, um, uh, uh, messages into even those broadcasts and say that, look, you are, still, you are campaigning and our hands are tied. So we have to yeah. begin to have rules around how we're going to do the campaigning, both from the side, but also to signal to the electorate that, you know, we still have to be uh, in behavior modification mode, not wait for new protocols for election, but even in the campaigning, I think it's very important to reinforce the behavior modification lessons during the campaigning. Because if we wait for three months, four months, and then roll out new rules, all of a sudden, you have to be careful again. That's not going to work. I mean, these things take some time for people to influence them in terms of the behavior change. So I expect during the election, I would be really happy to see um, uh, during the, the campaigning season, a new set of agreed rules. And this time around, I think because it involves um, level playing fields between parties, mm -hmm. this would not be the kind of I'd expect to be done by fiat, by fiat, but by some consensus building among the political class and with the elect electoral commission, that these are going to be the rules of engagement for the campaign. And then that consensus that has been developed will be developed during this period, then will roll into the development of uh, another set of protocols for the election day itself. But we Especially, really need to. From, from to what do. you said, from what you said, are, are these are, are these engagements happening? You know the IPAC because it seems we we, we are not hearing much at I, all, and it's just three months. But I said, unless no, no, unless unless they are happening behind closed doors, uh, there are no leaks and all of that. I I which is quite not how things work here. Unless they are happening that way, I, I don't have any signal that they are happening. Uh, there are a number of election-related uh, uh, meetings uh, that the EC calls uh, every then. 
I, I haven't seen yet uh, these issues flagged, but I think these are not just purely administrative issues, especially around the campaigning. The issues around campaigning and how we're going to do it are really political issues. Uh, they're not issues easily governed by administrative fear either. So you really do need all the stakeholders uh, on the party and candidate side to really sit down and handle over the rules and, and how we're going to engage, especially because uh, different participants have different uh, concerns around abuse of incumbency or unfair advantage for the incumbent and the like. I mean, knowing that rallies are almost a no-no, if you are not able to have the same exposure by media, then you appear to be advantaged. And, and are we going to have you know, rules? Are we going to throw in some little uh, support for the, the parties, are we going to factor in support for the election campaign the same way we've, said, we've done with, say, support for SMEs and other parts of the economy? Right. Are we going to support democracy with some, other, some new stimulus for democracy, uh, uh, you know, especially around the campaigning? These are all questions that I think uh, we need to haggle about, and the political class needs, needs to be about uh, doing. I mean, really, uh, the absence of conversation and the absence of dialogue within the podcast class around this actually is a source of concern. Very well. If you have just joined us, um, you are live and you're watching us um, as part of the University of Ghana School of Law's election uh, crisis. What was it? I've even forgotten the name of this. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> Law and crisis. <laughs> Oh, it's old age. Don't mind me. <laughs> so the the law in crisis seminar series. This is the second installment focusing specifically on election matters. And for our session, we are looking at um, elections in pandemics, exploring pathways to innovative elections management. We have as our panel Bridget Jogbenuku, who hopefully would become the presidential candidate for the Progressive People's Party. That's Dr. Papa Papa Kwesi Indum's um, political party. We have Professor H. Kwesi Prempre of the CDD and Nana Kwachi, who is a research and doctoral fellow of the New York University. We are streaming live on the University of Ghana Law and Crisis. Facebook page, we're on YouTube as well. And this program has been brought to you by Kind KC, uh, University of Ghana School of Law, with support from the Star Ghana Foundation. And thanks also to UKAID and the European Union. You're welcome to drop your questions and I'll be happy to read them for my panel members to address them. Bridget, I'm coming back to you now. You know, by maybe you're even sitting and saying that hmm, we don't know what's going. Me, Kwesi, and uh, Nana don't know what's, what's on the ground because you are on the ground. You are the political party. You have to execute a political party campaign and seek the mandate of the citizens. You are a smaller party, which means your challenges are even more pronounced. Um, yeah. From what we've discussed so far, listening to the public health concerns and, you know, the concerns to, towards ensuring um, credible, legitimate, transparent, accountable election in the face of these wide, you know, ranging, sweeping restrictions, what might be your ideas for the Electoral Commission 
and for the political parties themselves. That's one. And two, are you even having these conversations amongst yourselves in terms of the political parties regarding what you want? Well, yes, I think that for what we might want, I, I outlined a few of them earlier about segmenting the, the voters and letting, you know, making sure that some of them come in at a certain time just to ensure that there's no spread of the virus and things like that. But also, uh, HQC mentioned something about um, rallies and how it's going on. Because we can't have large crowds, it's not safe to have large crowds. And indeed, nobody's doing that a lot. Some are. But the thing it would be to use a lot of the tools that we have, like social media. And um, indeed, I mean, the Electoral Commission came up after the registration to say a large number of our electorates or the majority of our electorates are, are the youth who are actually quite dependent on social media and therefore that would be a very good um, uh, medium to use because I'm you know we're sharing this with, with the opposition as well so <laughs> everybody would be reliant on, on, on social media um, I think that we had a congress where we had to announce our, um, our executives and in doing that we we, we, we had a small crowd uh, with a lot of the, the traditional media represented, um, uh, uh, socially distanced, outdoors, all the protocols were observed and um, ensured that we, were, we, we had social media li links where our, our um, supporters from the other regions could gather in small groups and um, also um, sign on to these uh, social media sites so that they could uh, observe what was going on. And that is the way it should go. I, I like the part that uh, HQC Premper mentioned about something that happened in Benin where the, the government actually gave political parties uh, a certain budgets or some, some funding to work with. And that would really work well here because you see what we want is that we want um, uh, we want the health we want the best for our, our, our um, citizens, not, okay. uh, um, it goes beyond competition now and it becomes a collaboration more or less because mm -hmm. it's the people of Ghana that we are concerned about. And therefore, if you say you're working in the interest of the people of Ghana, then we all must ensure that we all um, uh, uh, are safeguarding the health of the people. And therefore, um, if you're going to fund anything to, to ensure that, uh, to safeguard that health, they should go for all the political parties and all their political activities or, or some of their political activities. I think that when we had, um, when we had the first cases of COVID and the country went to lockdown, uh, the presidents called us, uh, political parties, to dialogue and find a way in which to fight COVID. And it was a nice conversation and we all gave ideas as to what to do. But at the end of the day, whatever funding they got to fight COVID only was, only, was completely controlled by the, the um, government, the party, the party in, in, in government. And I think that that would have been a good way to say, look, all you political parties have a certain percentage of the electorate, and this would be a way to push you to also... Um, uh, go out there and, and attract, not attract your people, but spread the word about keeping safe and, and, and fighting COVID. 
So something like that, yes, is important. We, we indeed, we the smaller parties are, are are bleeding and are suffering, and uh, the the ruling party always or that those who've been in government before do have uh, more resources than we do. But uh, when it comes to COVID, and like the president said, COVID has no political colors. You know, coronavirus is everybody. Then we should um, have them. Um, understand that it goes beyond competition now. And, and, and the words I used in that meeting was it goes beyond competition. It's not a compassionate thing. You, everybody is Ghanaian in this case. And the, the resources to help in, in this uh, activity should, should go around to each party. So whilst we are trying to find ways around it because we don't have the resources, we are finding tools. And like I, I keep saying, I, I choose to see the glass half full we want to see the opportunities that this dreadful disease has brought to us and take advantage of them. It, is also, uh, it will also be good and advantageous to the rest of us and the rest of the country if all the political parties are strengthened in a certain manner so that their political activities does not go to spread uh, COVID. But, I mean, would you agree to those who say that Perhaps this is um, this is even good for the smaller parties because somehow COVID COVID is a leveler. It has kind of like leveled the playing ground for the political parties. This time they can't get to expend huge amounts of, of money on you know a huge budget item activity. So at least there's some opportunity there for you. Not so. No doubt. Like I said from the beginning, the first thing I said was uh, COVID has given us a lot of opportunity. That's my glass half full there. But you know, if we also had the opportunity to go on uh, GTV every two weeks to talk to our fellow Ghanaians, we would, <laughs> would also have something to say. And we would also be heard, you know. And um, uh, yes, maybe this is the time. From now on, whilst we are campaigning, uh, the media should, and I think we still spoke about that in the last forum, HPC Prevent Highway, that we should be given equal time uh, yes. by the media to come and say, and we may not, it, it, it's not a vote for me kind of thing. It's more like uh, we care about your safety too. And because that is what it seems to be saying. But look, Shamima, continue and I, if you go on social media and you look at the COVID safety measures that they put out there and people have posted on their um, uh, pictures. The, 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 look at those colors. Most people don't pay attention to it, but look at those colors again and come back and you tell me. Serious branding there. <laughs> you see? So, That's not art of branding. <laughs> yes. You see, they attend, uh, observe the COVID protocols, but look at the colors in which they come. Mm. And I've had to draw people's attention to that. Do you realize those colors there are? And unfortunately, at this time, I, I'm not so you know politically skewed as to see every color as a position color. But it's the truth. That is what it persists. And maybe this is when we also, we, as a smaller yeah, party, can also do some. As for the yes, we'll do some. We'll, we'll, we'll do some. some. We'll do <laughs> some. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, and uh, we we probably. You know, we'll have to look at it and do it. But my point is, as Chrissy Brembeck said, the party in government has the resources and does most of it. 
But like, you, again, you said, it's a leveler and we all have to then be dependent on social media. Thankfully, that is not always a huge budget and we can take a look at that and really look at doing things. I mean, we thank God that the one thing, as much as I'm a politician, the one thing that used to disturb me a lot was the noise. And so far, so good. I mean, we still have September, October and November to go and maybe the noise levels will come up. But at least we don't have the rallies going on and the lots of people who will uh who stand who may get infected but yes uh, we 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 it gives us an opportunity to do things differently and and yeah. properly thank you so much bridget let me bring our participants in at um at present we have a few questions from them we thank you very much uh for spending your afternoon with us on uh, this seminar series. Vera Haibo says, what time frame will be prudent for the Electoral Commission to present, publish, detailed outline, or guidelines for the elections for scrutiny because there's only three months to election. That's the big headache and the big question we're all asking today, Vera. Thanks for sending that through. Colonel Festo Zabuachi, retired, says, it is arguable that lessons from the just-ended voter registration exercise showed acts of intimidation and water suppression by the security forces, especially by elements acting outside the established framework for election security. In the run-up to December 7 and on election day, how can we ensure that the activities of the election security task force and other security forces do not interfere with the right of citizens to exercise their franchise? Marilyn, um, Aru, Arumadri Baku says, if the citizens are failing to follow the simple protocols, how is the Electoral Commission going to ensure that people follow the rules they will roll out during the elections? You wonder. I'm seeing these not applicable at all, you opine, even if they use the security institutions, the personnel are equally tired to say that in the Nigerian um, uh, tone. The country must prepare for another landing of many positive patients, not few by the way. So um, yes, I think we can take these ones for now. And um, yeah, any one of you can, can take that. Okay, um, I, I can jump on the first question about when we should start the consultation. And I think that I'm picking up on that because of listening to what Professor Prempe said and what um, Madame Bridges said as well. I think it's it's quite obvious that, that you know we that should have happened that should be happening right now it should have happened already um, because it, it's not just a question of agreeing on okay here are the public health guidelines. It's also important that there's some agreement on the scenarios um, for December 7th and what can be what will be done under any of those scenarios. For there to be consensus on those as political questions as well. And it's not possible to, like we said, we've all agreed on, it's not possible to, th there's never a time that's too early to have that conversation, but there is a time that is too late. So it, it's important, I think, if, if we haven't started it, if it's not happening behind closed doors, that that really begins um, as soon as possible, really. I, I, think any, I think any average Ghanaian would be hoping that that, that is happening, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Hello, Kwesi. 
Yes, I, need to I, I agree. I agree with the Nakwati. I mean, I think, I think definitely um, this is a conversation that should be happening right now. And I really do hope to it. I mean, that we could, have, we could take advantage of, of uh, the uh, exceptional circumstances presented by COVID to also advance um, you know, an aspect of our election management and democracy generally that I think it's, a, it's, it's, it's almost a bit coming uh, on very wobbly feet now, which is the issue of inter-party dialogue you know, IPEC, IPEC seems to, to be fraying at the seams. And I think there's an opportunity for the EC to continue to build confidence with all the parties. So I'm hoping that we start this conversation now under the auspices of the EC, that it be an open kind of dialogue, an opportunity for the parties to agree. Really bad if we miss. The, the, the boat in terms of the timing, and then just came out with uh, a fiat, whether from administratively from the EC or politically uh, from or legally from the government, saying these are the rules. You know, uh, this is this is a moment for uh, maximum consult, uh, uh, consultation, for maximum dialogue and consensus building around. Hello. Kwesi, I think your network, your network is failing us a bit. Very, very funny issue. So I really want to hope that the time... Okay. Are, are you hearing me? Yeah, you, I mean, the last part okay. of your submission so were a bit mumbled. No, so I'm saying that basically I, I, I agree with Nana that you know we we really in terms of how we do it that I'm, I, I I hope that it is done with the maximum consultation no preconditions you know just maximum deliberation among the so that this, the outcome that we agree uh, is a product of uh, real dialogue among the parties uh, as opposed to being seen by one or the other group as an imposition by executive fiat or by the and I think if we're able to get into the last stage of the election uh, value chain or the cycle. Okay. With some more confidence building. So don't think we should, we should rock into this idea of a single day election. There's nothing that... Crazy. You are saying some very important saying thing. that election might be a single day event. Certainly in our context, but the Chrissy, so let me let me go to um, um, Bridget, and hopefully, so that we don't lose out on the very important key points you're making. Bridget, before you come in, let me throw in a few more questions. That there's one particular one that um, perspective that I find very interesting. So this one from YouTube says, "This is the first election under the Fourth Republic where international observers may not be able to participate." or if they participate, their ability to move around and engage stakeholders will be limited. 
To what extent will this impact how political actors conduct themselves? And this um, is coming from YouTube. There's no name, but I think this is a very important intervention you have just made. After seeing the congestion on the first two days of water registration, nothing can convince me that 7th December elections will be any better. The Electoral Commission of Ghana must decongest all polling centers to at least three centers. And this is coming from Grassak National Synod. Thank you for the conversation. I also think it's a, sh it's a shame that a conversation about Plan B is not taking place. What is it, for what it is worth, I think even if we do not get a worst case scenario, the possibility of it gives an opportunity to engage in that conversation and derive some options for the future. I believe the legal community must do this, even if the politicians will not. Thank you, Wilma say for this one as well. Bridget. Uh-oh. Yes, well, yes, uh, Shamima. Mm -hmm. You can address any of the questions. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, let me say, I think there was this question about, I think a lot of us are thinking what could go wrong rather than what could go right. I think generally from our numbers, we know that um, we are not doing too badly where COVID is concerned. And um, like I, I keep saying, they're going to open the borders now. But shall we, it, it's good for us to keep a, very, a, a more positive approach or a positive outlook on the oncoming elections. Um, it's easy to say and it's almost flippant, but I think that the more we think what could go wrong, the more we look out for what could go wrong. I think I saw a question from Festus Abwajan, hello, say, <laughs> uh, which said, um, how can we guarantee that the security forces in charge of the elections behave and, and do not, you know, I think that sometimes even some of the security forces who are there to um, ensure safety are expecting something to go wrong. And therefore, I'm very much on edge. I don't know if that's what security demands that you do. But I think that um, let's take a step back. Let's see how the elections go. Sometimes people think, oh, because you, the small parties, have nothing at stake. Sure, we do have something at stake. You know what happens to us sometimes at the polling stations? Because we don't have enough uh, polling station atten uh, attendance to put, we don't have enough people to put at our polling stations. We lose out on some of our votes, and you know what they say about the vote, the, the elections are one at the polling stations. We lose out on some of our votes. But I think that generally, if we all go suspicious of things that could go wrong, we actually cause those things that could go wrong. And sometimes we must go um, all expecting to do what is right by us. You know, I, 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 I feel that sometimes the Ghanaian, Ghanaians, we, we, we want to be um, headed in a certain way. When we actually know what ought to be done right, you know that you need to go to the polling station, you know that you need to wear your mask, you know that you need to be socially distanced. These messages have been repeated over and over again, whether there are elections or not. Yes, like, I, like my, my other uh, panelists said, the Electoral Commission ought to have started the education of, or, or, or letting us know 
what they were going to do on December 7th, starting now. They ought to let us know um, whether it's going to take a day, whether it's going to take three days because of it. Because you see, the closer it gets to the time, and, and, and uh, uh, the, the more suspicious people get when you bring all these new modalities, and then the, especially the two major parties, somebody then starts to think, oh, you're doing this to, to disenfranchise us. So they should give us a lot of time, give us a lot of information. And we should also see it in good faith as an opportunity to run our elections uh, in a better way. But if uh, with the other parties, all these new modalities come out, and I think that if I should say, the EC is probably being careful because of what would be read into these new uh, modalities they want to put in place to safeguard the, 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 the voter. Maybe what they should actually say is do is walk into that um, space to say, this is what we are doing for these reasons. Because it seems as if each time some new, something new is being put in place, people get immediately suspicious. And as soon as you get suspicious, that is when uh, the ideas of disrupting it or, or, or getting, you know, getting violent about it come, come up. So let's look at it in good faith. And that's, that's what I wanted to say. Let's look at it in good faith. Let's see how well, how better it makes our electoral process. And yes, all these questions will come up. But I think it's also individual responsibility because you know what you want. You know that you want an election free of violence. You want an election free and fair. And you want to ensure that you go to your polling station and come back not infected. And therefore, you take personal responsibility to ensure that that doesn't happen. I remember when the lockdown was lifted, uh, there were some people who said, oh, uh, we, are, we are being left on our own to fall sick. And I, I, I was asking them, don't you think you have a part to play in this process to ensure that you don't fall sick? Must it be that you must only be put under lockdown to ensure that you don't fall sick? And I think that majority of Ghanaians have actually ensured their safety through that. And the same should go for the electoral process. Yes, we, EC must uh, put out the modalities and uh, put in the budget, if, if the, fund, the funding to ensure that uh, the protocols are observed. But the average Ghanaian also has, or the voter also has a personal responsibility to yourself, first and foremost, to ensure that these things go right. And um, that would be my answer to all the people who are, in fear asking you know mm -hmm. the questions in a bit of negativity right crazy i hope your network is 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 correct now so i mean the question about this might be the first election that we may not have the involvement of international observers as we used to in the past and what it portends for behavior or misbehavior of political actors on the ground we uh, we 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 do have a very strong uh, domestic election observation structure i mean cordeo uh if i may say so myself which is uh, uh, a coalition of domestic election observers a very a large coalition of various civic professional Groups, uh, you know, spanning clergy, uh, Christian 
Vietnam uh, Bar Association membership, all of that, uh, which is headquartered here at TBD. We've been doing election observation in the country, international observers participating uh, in our observation group, these are Ghanaians, and we've been doing that uh, for many years. So I think we, we have uh, the capacity, certainly if there are other international parties who are interested in our elections and observing alongside us, that's, that's good, you know, but we do have uh, the ability to do this. We are currently actually doing it. We, do, we are already in the field doing training for election observation. We observed a part of the registration exercise and are already gearing up for the elections uh, as I speak. So we, 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 we are ready to do election observation. We also have our parallel voter uh, technology that we also uh, uh, roll out alongside uh, the election, which gives us some measure of, of I mean, another, another tool by which we can also uh, uh, vet the credibility of, of the numbers that we're getting. So I think, you know, we do not, our elections, I think we've gone beyond the point where we have to depend on international observers to validate or, or authenticate uh, uh, the integrity of our elections. I think we, we have built enough domestic capacity, but I think they're welcome uh, if by then there is an opportunity for them to participate. Mm. Um, Kofi, I agree that Kodeo has, has been quite effective over time. But because, again, of the nature of our politics, you do know that um, always the international observers also add a certain modicum of, of legitimacy to the outcome, right? Because of the ways that our landscape often wants to tag person A or person B to that. So do you think that their absence might cast a certain shadow over the elections, or you believe that's not at all? I I don't want I don't want it to be I don't I mean, I'm I I don't want to pit domestic election observation against international election observation. I have had the opportunity to participate in international election observation in other countries, uh, most recently in Zimbabwe in the first post Mugabe elections. There is value to that. I mean, uh, there is value to having as many as possible as many people and independent groups as possible looking in and all that. But of course, sometimes to having too many can create a problem because you then have, then have a situation where, you know, one says, you know, the election looked okay to me here. The other comes up with a different report. I mean, so there are pluses and minuses there. But I do think that we generally, um, as a country, we are very aware that the international community takes a very keen interest in our elections, mm -hmm. you know, of we are one of the countries uh, most observed, whether directly physically on the ground or from a distance. Our elections really do generate a considerable amount of international interest. Why? And therefore, Why? whether or well, I think that because there is a certain sense that we have become uh, whether a beacon of, of stability in the region, uh, our example in terms of uh, repetitive, um, uh, 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 generally peaceful elections and handover of power, mm -hmm. I think has uh, earned us some kind of 
or favor with the international community when it comes to the conduct of elections. But they are also always aware. I mean, I think people have observed our elections enough, long enough to know that we always get on the precipice as if we're going to just, you know, trip over and, and, and descend into some kind of, of uncharacteristic chaos. It never does happen, but there is always tension. So we do get people very interested in how things are going, uh, wishing us well, I think, over time, but they are also aware that you know things can just go bad, and and we too are aware. And I think sometimes because we are aware that we are being looked at, we probably that also affects the way we, we conduct our affairs. So I think, or not, election of the observers, international observers are on the ground in Ghana. I think that we are aware of the atmosphere in which we are operating, and Kodeo has done a marvelous job uh, historically in actually. Uh, overseeing these elections, uh, observing these elections. So I, I don't expect that the absence of election observers, if that's what happens, uh, will actually in any way detract from the, uh, the, the legitimacy of the outcome or the, the observations that Kodeo makes about the, the, the validity of the outcome. Remember that we do we roll out the same things we do with Afrobarometer. We go out and get public so we, we come to this with uh, a good deal of credibility as a research organization. And therefore, you know, I, I do not really uh, doubt at all that we can, we can do this um, without the presence of the uh, international observers. Very well. We are doing very good with time and we are covering almost all the areas. But um, the next bit, I might want to take your thoughts on is the issue of special voting. And Chrissy, since you're still on the floor, you know, um, in the beginning of the conversation, we're speaking about, um, you know, exploring other innovative pathways. Do you think the vehicle of special voting is one of such pathways? Yes, oh, absolutely. I, I, I think we, 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 we do have um, in our normal election day routine, but we've tended to have it mostly for security personnel, especially those who are going to partake in the uh, in security work on election day. Uh, we've had them voting a day or some days prior to election day, and I think this is a facility that we we should consider extending, especially to voters in certain high risk categories or voters who have mobility challenges on election day that they may not be disenfranchised. So. Uh, this has been done in other countries that have held elections in the midst of, of, of COVID. So we too, I think, should take a leave uh, from, that, uh, from that book. And essentially, I would, I would suggest, I think Bridget had earlier mentioned that, you know, the elderly um, or senior citizens, as we call them here, and the uh, persons with disabilities and, 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 and other vulnerable groups, I mean, we can have them uh, join with the security uh, uh, personnel. Uh, it, it it will do you know uh, it will do a good bit to reduce uh, election day queuing and the numbers on election day. I think even during registration, I do know that you know the electoral commission uh, asked that could go to their district offices. Maybe that it will take some the whole ride to get there. So that's not as easy. But they did open an, a window for. Uh, persons above 60 later drop to 50 to go to 
uh, their district offices are supposed to go to queue in the, in the uh, registration centers. So definitely special this kind, I think, uh, something that we ought to, we ought to uh, do. But I think we should also seriously consider the number of days over which we are going to do this election. What, what, if what we are today? going to do multiple days, really, we need to build. I do think that we, we, we this is a conversation, so we have to have the public health people with the EC and the political class sitting together around this, you know, and just looking at the reality, the data, and everything, you know, and then seeing, look, can we accomplish a single day election? I think even in normal times, we've had situations where sometimes elections have rolled over beyond the day. And when that happens, we, you, you see that it changes, it changes the conversation around, you know, cheating and rigging, and, and there's a lot of rumor mongering around what's going on. So if we're going to have an election, the election extend beyond the day, we must begin to build and arrive at polka consensus about that soon are, enough. Are you not so careful that, of that option, given our history, Ballots no, naturally, no. people sleeping with no, ballot no, no. boxes throughout the night just to protect yeah, but, the ballot. Mm. No, I, I don't think I don't think I would say um, I am afraid. I mean, I think it is an exceptional situation, and uh, therefore we have to prepare for it. It's a it's a challenge that we may have to confront, and rather than wait last minute to just shoot a surprise and say, "Oh, we, by the way, we're going to have election on December 7th. If you don't December, 8th, if you don't finish December nine, no." We should have a clear roadmap on this, clear decision about that. That if this is how we're going to do it, this is when it opens, this is when it closes, this is how we're going to keep custody, the chain of custody of the ballot boxes, this is how we're going to work everything out. I don't want any of this to become a surprise. It's where there is a surprise. That's where the suspicion and the skepticism and, and the concerns arise. But but you, I mean, with three months on, when do you think might be too late if, if these conversations don't begin? By when do you think it might be too late? So, so well, do them. I, think, I think because I am essentially preaching consensus, uh, I do not want decisions around such issues to be made by fiat, by, by imposition. So to the extent that they are being made, in my view, ideally by consensus. I think the time to start it is now. If it goes into November, if it, you know, because various you know, parties are doing their own internal polling, they are getting a sense of how the, the numbers are shaking out in the populace. You know? If nobody wants to wait, and then one side just says, hey, you know, we will have a one-day election. And when, when you start building consensus in November, it's unlikely that you'll probably arrive at a decision by November. So start building it now. Anticipate that it's going to be difficult, take a lot of deliberation. It's going to take a lot of give and take. So why not start it now? Latest, you know, somewhere mid, mid September. So that you can have it way ahead of time. Way ahead of time. As as trying to wait until then, you know, then the consensus breaks down, which is what happened, for example, with the referendum vote last year. You know, the consensus building around the political party, whether or not we're going to have the referendum on the election of MMDC, that consensus building did not take place early enough. And when it got close to the election and the party realized we don't have a consensus to push this through, then we were faced with a failed referendum. 
I don't want mm. that in around. So who this yes, let them hear. Let me say <laughs> that on the um, the series, we reserve a virtual seat for the electoral commission. You'll recall that I said this is the election series, so we are looking at different facets of our election election accountability, um, election management. There'll be settings on the transitional you know, process. And we've been wanting to host the electoral commission, but it's been difficult to get any of their representative, you know, come on. So we have a virtual seat for them anytime at all that they are willing, happy and able to come on any of the series or sessions. We're happy to host them. Kwesi, thanks so much for that. Let me come to you. Nana Kwache, just about, we are about wrapping up. So in the next round, um, we should be thinking about the summaries of our key takeaways um, with respect to the issues we have spoken about, public health, at safeguarding our democracy, but most importantly, things we can do before, during, and after the December 7 elections to ensure that we protect our democracy and we protect the health of our citizens. And what role law might play in cementing all of these facets together. So Nana Kwache, again, are there any special arrangements in a special, you know, voting situation, you would say? Um, well, I, I think obviously any scenario where even, I mean, just if we don't have a vaccine, which we probably will not by December 7th, um, any scenario where voting means that it, it can't actually look like what we usually do because what we usually do is crowds, long queues. That's not going to work. So we have to make some changes in some ways by learning lessons from the voter registration exercise about queue management and people management and applying them in their most practical sense to the actual election. Like Professor Prempo was saying, it, it might mean we have to vote for multiple days. Um, like Madam Bridget was saying, it means that it might mean that we have to have special voting or early voting for vulnerable people. But we need to think through all those things now because we are going to need to do some of them. There's no scenario where we don't do any of them and just go and have the election. We're going to have to do some of them. And because you have to do some of them, we're going to have to come to a consensus. We're going to have to make sure that the public understands why those things are being done. Um, and like has been said here, the earlier we get, we, we, we get to that effort, the better. But the, the guiding principles from a strict public health perspective has to be to make sure that the most vulnerable people are exposed the least, so they are getting to polling stations on a priority basis and spending the least time there. So the elderly people with known conditions that are high risk, we want to make sure that um, when people are at the polling stations that there is sufficient room around them to do effective social distancing as part of queue management. And we want to make sure that there is some amount of screening to make sure that people who are coming to align. I mean, what we did in the, in the EC, in the registration process was doing the thermal screening. It's not fail proof, but it's, it's a good measure to see who is sick and has a fever, which is a good screening metric. We should do that too, to make sure that we are reducing the likelihood that somebody who enters a queue or enters a polling area is infected in the first place. But we need to do all those things at the same time. We need to do them everywhere. And we need to make sure that there's people responsible for enforcing them. Whatever, whatever modalities we come up with for enforcing those public health objectives, 
whether by multiple day voting, by special queuing allocations, by more polling centers, whatever we do, those are administrative questions. But the goal should be to make sure that, you know, people can practice good hand hygiene, they can practice effective social distancing, um, and that we are reducing the risk of people coming to polling stations when they're infected. Those are the goals. So how we get there, that's a question for the EC, for political parties and for you know, public health consultants to both um, to sit down together to look at what reality says and respond to that reality with um, some meaningful measures here. I've, I've said previously that I think COVID-19 for every country really presents a test of your national character. It's not just a question of, your, of, of what happens in healthcare, what happens in pandemic management. It's going to test how well you are at building consensus if you say you're a democracy. Can you do the hard work of making sure that you are, address, you, you are actually doing the dirty work of democracy, talking to people, even when it's hard, especially because it's hard, um, so that everybody's at the right place? Can you do the necessary work to make sure that the fact that putting in place measures for the election is going to be difficult is not the reason you don't do them? Um, we have to make sure we are rising to the moment. We have to make sure that we are doing that by responding again to reality, by being pragmatic, by being flexible, and by valuing consensus, because a lot of the, it's quite clear that a lot of the public health hamstrings, as far as the election goes, has to do with the preparedness of political actors to, to comply and to go along and to promote those things. Um, and if we are not in a place where we can build trust and consensus among those actors, and if there's not enough trust among the referee between those actors, we need to see how we'll have a difficult situation in December. So, it's a question of what can we do now as well to prepare for that. So it's not, and again, so yes, we want to make sure we can keep infections down. I, it definitely means we have to be testing more than we are just as a plain fact, a concern I have. Um, we have to be testing more. We have to be doing more aggressive contact tracing. And we have to be considering how to mitigate the risks that are involved with opening the airport, which I think, quite, quite frankly, should include some period of mandatory quarantine. Those are the things we can do to control infections. But to control the panic around the elections or the anxiety around the elections, there are political things we have to be doing now, which involve the engagement with all the stakeholders, um, the consensus building, the pragmatism, the flexibility, and the candor, you know, the, 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 the plain candor to make sure that everybody feels like they're being heard, that their, their opinions are being valued, and that what's driving decision-making about what we do is what works, what is good for the people, and not what is expedient what is seen to be expedient for the EC or one party or the other. Beautifully said. And I think that uh, we ought to have begun yesterday. Obviously, we don't have much time left. Thank you so very much, Nana Kwachi, for those very beautiful and thought-provoking interventions. Bridget, I'm coming to you now by way of summary of your key takeaways and your key recommendations, bearing in mind, you know, global best practice as well. How should political parties proceed? Well, I think that the one thing I said was uh, to some extent, we must take responsibility, each one of us, uh, and it, from the individual basis and then to the party basis. Nobody wants uh, an, uh, 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 you know, a largely infected population of uh, COVID patients. So we, we must take personal responsibility and take uh, responsibility on the part of the parties. And I think 
um, most of us have done. Uh, we are careful as to how to go about our um, uh, rallies and our our campaigning, and we won't do a lot. We won't do as much in per, in person campaigns as um, as we would uh, on on a normal in normal times. Um, we were taking a lot online. We are taking a lot to the media, and on the day of um, voting, like I said, nobody knows who's there to vote for which party. So we must be interested in everybody's uh, participation, ensure that people are not disenfranchised by the new whatever new modalities are going to go in, go in, uh, in place. I think Ashkwesi Prepper said it. This is the time to start the dialogue because we don't want to push it and then. Something that we are not used to. I, think I heard one of you talk about culturally or traditionally. We, we, we don't like change. So sudden change uh, in a short time is difficult for us to handle and to deal with. So let's know that because of COVID, certain things are going to change from now on. And it's a pity that the EC did not show up for this conversation, but I'm sure that the conversation will go to them where it has to start now for us to understand and believe that these things are being put in place because they are concerned about the Ghanaian's health and not for political expediency, for example. And um, at the end of the day, each one of us, regardless of which political party we belong to, must be responsible. I think we saw what happened with a registration process when a minister went to a registration uh, center, uh, knowing that he was uh, COVID uh, compromised, uh, positive. And um, it wasn't a very, a very responsible thing to do. And all of us must, we must take that personal response. It goes beyond the party, it becomes an individual thing. Of course, we the parties want our votes, so we also must put in place certain things to ensure we must look out for certain things, probably the protocols, everybody is there in a the mask, the place is uh, um, properly socially uh, uh, distanced, if you like, the two meter rule is being obeyed, uh, there are hand washing basins, either before or after the, the uh, uh, ballot um, box, and all that, so that we, we know that each person in their place, including the security forces, are ensuring if there's somebody there not in a mask, they cannot, they must not be allowed to join the queue. And it's not a fight, it's, you know, it's just the, the, the thing to do. I think that recently, uh, Nana Kwachi talked about the bars. You, you drive past bars or you drive past market places and people have shed the mask. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's, they've shut their mask and they are sitting close and I'm thinking, don't you know what is going on? They no, do, they but on, they they, yes, on December 7th, this is what we have to ensure. And it's not a fight, it's just, well, maybe it should be no mask, no vote, if you like. You know, and uh, that should be enforced. But it, the, the EC will have to come out as quickly as possible to make sure we hear all the, that, not the day before or not the, the, the month before. And I hope that even whilst we are sitting here thinking, why haven't they joined us? I am hoping that uh, ever the, the, the optimist, I'm sure that they are doing something at the ECM, we'll hear about them. Right. 
Ever the optimist. I like that bit. I mean, um, what we focus on becomes our reality. I'm also a sucker for that, positive thinking. But sometimes the, 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 the challenges can be so overwhelming, you can't even help yourself. So, Chrissy, um, before I bring you in, let me just take a few more comments and then we will. Okay, this is the wrong place I open. I should open chat. Just give me a minute. Okay, Nelson says, as we look forward to meeting our electoral commitments under public health pandemic conditions, what should the model for a future crisis smart election management look like? Thank you. In fact, that's, that's a question I should have asked of them, looking into the future. What, what Online. should you? Online. I, I, like, I like it crisis smart elections management look like. Emmanuel Atto says, is the option of e-voting available for us? Um, in the worst case, you wonder. Vera says there have been rumors. Well, I don't like talking about rumors. So, um, Vera, since it's a rumor, um, I can't read it publicly, okay? I hope you understand. So, yes. Um, Kwesi, you can box in the questions as well as your summary of your key takeaways and call to action. Oh, Bridget, did you want to say something again? No, when someone asked about what is the future of uh, elections, I said online. Uh, we, we, the, the world is moving that way, and I know that the U.S. is struggling with it and uh, all the postal things and all that. But uh, we we must face our challenges and deal with them. And sometimes some of these things will just have to go digital. If not every, not all of it, some of it. Um, that, that would be the future. I mean, right. the future is now. Yeah, and if, if Okay. So, okay, okay, so, wait, Nana, uh, let, Nana, Chrissy, wait, let Nana finish because you will wrap up the session anyway. So Nana should just have his take, yeah. Okay, just just to go off what Madam Bridget said, I I think the question of what we where we are going, I mean that's a conversation we really have to be having. This COVID presents many countries with opportunities to innovate around how we do things, and a great it presents us a good opportunity to question, you know, the strength of our institutions and what we can do with those institutions to make sure that scenarios like this can be better contained. You know, for example, that in 2018 Sierra Leone during their election, they actually use blockchain technology as part of the, of, of the, of the digital coalition, digital voting um, measures. So, and with, with that technology that made it so that they were less worried about hacking and many of the other things that would usually go into consent about a, a, a digitized or digital election. Um, but there are options out there. And I hope that we are having, I, I hope that that's what's happening at IPAC, that I hope, I hope ideally be more constructive conversations about opportunities like that to look at how, if not now, in the next elections, we are bringing on board more of that, because that solves problems like making sure that Ghanaians abroad can vote, it solves problems like making sure that, that um, identity systems are in a place where they can be used as a basis for you know, doing all that kind of ID verification, authentication. So it, it's an opportunity we really should think very constructively about, not just for the election per se, but for so many parts of our lives that are right now analog that would be made so much easier which we have seen can be made so much easier if we if we can get our institutions to be more trustworthy and for them to apply some of those technologies to make their work more efficient. Thank you. Yeah, so um, 
I, I, I think, um, you know, throughout this uh, pandemic, uh, certainly uh, not just in Ghana, but I think globally, I, I think the, the essential balance uh, or the, at least the two key things foremost on our minds has been the health of the populace and the health of the economy. Uh, but I do think that uh, this is, there's a third pillar uh, to this tripod, which is the health of a democracy. That's for those countries that are a democracy uh, or that aspire to be one. I think the health of the democracy is also crucial. Um, and Ghana especially, I think our democracy, um, whatever it's worth, it's been one of our strongest selling points in the region. It's a source of soft power for us. A uh, number of, uh, we get a number of, uh, int you know, interested investors, visitors, tourists come here because of our stability, our peace, which has been assured and guaranteed by our democracy. So I think we, we should prioritize uh, the health of the democracy just as, as much as we have tried to prioritize the health of the economy during this pandemic. And as we look forward to 2020 December elections, this is, I think, just the right time for us to invest in the 2020 elections in an exceptional way in, in response to COVID. So I think I go back to my earlier points about consensus building, about beginning to think about a plan B now, about working out the modalities for campaign through consensus, about working out the modalities for voting day through consensus and not wait, not do it by executive fiat, not do it by administrative fiat, but use this opportunity to really develop some widely accepted ground rules that all the stakeholders will buy in, into. I also think that the same way, I mean, I, I might have said it, you know, just flippantly initially, but I do think that we also, uh, in investing in our democracy uh, during this pandemic, must also think about some innovative ways. Even if we're not going to do it as a permanent feature of our campaigns, at least some kind of a stimulus for election 2020 in the form of some um, new way of doing campaigning because parties can no longer do rallies and, and they have to do uh, more retail campaigning, if even that, or may have to do vehicular broadcast or more media. Perhaps some arrangements that would uh, basically help uh, parties with the, the new cost that this might impose would also be helpful. We can treat that as our stimulus, our COVID-19 stimulus for democracy or for the elections. You know, so I, I, my main point is consensus, consensus, consensus. Time is of the essence. Let's begin to talk about now. Let's begin to talk about campaign ground rules. Let's begin to talk about election day ground rules now, as opposed to waiting until it becomes too late. Thank you so very much. I think that um, we have done quite a bit. Uh, we've done quite well on time. And so we'll just wrap up the session. Of course, the conversation continues. So this session was just to allow us an opportunity to begin teasing out the key issues that you know, has to occupy our minds and our conversations ahead of the December elections. Many thanks for joining us. Um, H. Kwesi Prempre, who is Executive Director for uh, CDD Ghana, 
We also were joined graciously by Nana Kofi Kwachi, who is a research fellow and doctoral candidate at the New York University School of Public Health, as well as Madam Bridget Jogbenuku, who is a former vice presidential candidate and now presidential candidate aspirant for the Progressive People's Party. We have come to the end of our session and on elections and pandemics, pathways for innovative elections management. And what is clear is that there needs to be deeper consultation and engagement of all stakeholders by the Electoral Commission to ensure that we have a smooth election in a pandemic. I pray you have found the conversations very youthful and good use of your time and will continue within your circles. Thank you. Special appreciation to our panel members for making the time to the University of Ghana School of Law and all who worked behind the scene to bring us a successful seminar, Oliver and his team. Many thanks to Star Ghana Foundation for supporting this series as well as UKAID and European Union. The next series will be on post-election transition management. It will take place on the 7th of September, 2020. That is a week from today. Make a date. My name is Shamima Muslim. As always, many thanks for your company and helping me do this work. Do enjoy the remainder of the day. Bye for now. <laughs>